Welcome to the Talent Matters Podcast. Learn how to make the most of talent as a competitive advantage. Navigate today's fast-changing talent landscape and prepare now for the future of work. Here's your hosts, Brian Arzani and Jennifer Erickson. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Talent Matters. I'm your host, Jennifer Erickson, and I'm very excited today. We have Matt Barbara from Custom Concrete Pumping with us today. It's a company founded here in Iowa. They work across the Midwest. It was founded in 2012, and I want to thank you for joining us today, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about you. Let's start with you, and you were born in Australia Tell us how you ended up in Des Moines, Iowa, and ended up founding a concrete company. Well, uh, I actually came over here originally. Um, I, was, I was born and raised in Australia in the suburbs, in the western suburbs of Sydney. Um, and then came over here in uh, 2003 originally. I was actually a spring car mechanic uh, for the first, oh, about 10 years of my American life. Um, and just worked on race cars, traveling the country, essentially just living the dream, really. Um, I would spend six months in the United States and then go home for six months and just worked on sprint cars um, for the first 10 years and then uh, met my my now wife and, and we got married and kind of had to get a real job and, and not travel so much at that point and, and just try to <laughs> knuckle down and, and, and just kind of start, you know, the whole family, the whole family path and all of that and just really kind of... Uh, then the real job led to pumping concrete and a year working for somebody else. I, I decided that this is what I wanted to do and, and kind of ventured off and started custom concrete pumping. So how does one start a concrete pumping company? I mean, that so, there's a lot of stuff involved. I mean, it's not like you can just go hang up a shingle, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there actually really is. But one of the biggest things, um, I kind of grew up around construction in Australia. My dad was a flat work concrete guy. Um, actually came over here because I didn't like concrete. I didn't want nothing to do with it. I, I wanted to be the outcast <laughs> of the family. Um, but then, you know, you kind of go back to your roots in a way, but I wanted to be on the other side of it. And I really liked um, kind of looking at concrete pumps. I was like, oh, you know, they kind of res- remind me of race cars. There's a lot of maintenance to them. They, they're high performance machines. And, and you know, it was just when I went to the first job, I said, you know, I think this is me. I think this is what I want to do. Uh, I don't have a college degree. Um, so I really had to knuckle down and, and just say, you know, this is the path I'm on. And I'm, I want to try to be the best I can be at it. Excellent. So for those that are listening that have no idea what concrete pumping means, would you explain a little bit? Yeah, essentially, it's a, it's a big, big piece of equipment that travels up and down the road. They've got uh, wheels. And I mean, we can go pretty much anywhere. It it essentially gets the concrete from A to B. Um, there's the concrete truck that comes up to our truck, and then we have we have uh, sections of boom or you know like an arm that that goes out, and we can place it really, really uh, efficiently and really specific to where the contractor wants it. So you're not the concrete company that comes to my driveway, correct? Uh, no. Don't you tell us about the projects you do so, so everyone we- understands. Yeah, there's, there's really nothing we don't do. I mean, we have done driveways, but when it comes to our specific industry, we help the, the concrete contractor and the ready mix companies who essentially supply the concrete. We help them become more efficient and, and just generally place the concrete neater on the ground. So then when the, when the uh, concrete contractor is working with it, it's, it's 
leveler when they're when they're trying to work so it's not so bad on their backs and and it's a lot less hard work for them when we show up and and well that's the goal and we just try to make it as efficient as we can so when you started was it just you and a truck yeah yeah um actually you know uh my business partner and i we started in 2012 and he kind of said let's get three trucks and i said no let me get my feet wet let's let's i'll run as hard as i can for the first year and and we'll see if this is what we both want to do as as partners and and this is the business we want to really kind of go towards and then the next year we got three um and then the next year i think we got five and then and then it's really grown since i mean the need and and the growth in des moines and the, and the midwest has just been huge so it's it, we've been pretty fortunate on that end now Next year is your 10-year anniversary. Congratulations. Most companies don't make it past five, and you're going to make it to 10. Yeah, I'm really kind and, of excited. And then 15 and 20, right? That's exciting. Oh, that's yeah, it's really, I mean, it, it is really exciting. It, it, there's been a lot of ups and downs and a lot of downs. And um, But, you know, it, it's it's really exciting to get to 10 years. I just actually spoke to Whitney, our office manager. I'm like, man, we need to plan a party or something. And I said, you know, it's kind of really cool. So, um the good thing is, is we've got a lot of people here that have been here over five years, so over half of our life, and and that's again going back to talent that that attributes the growth and and the longevity of our company already. So tell me, how many employees do you have now? Uh, right now, we have forty five. Forty five, and are they all local, or do you have multiple locations now? Uh, uh, so we actually have uh, we have a branch in Omaha, which is uh, actually in Gretna, just west of Omaha. But we do a lot of Omaha work over there. Um, and then we've actually kind of ventured out across country a little bit on on some uh, wind farm specific projects. Uh, we're down in New Mexico, uh, down in Kansas. So we're really starting to spread our wings a little bit and diversify. And do you use local people and send them there, or do you hire talent in those markets? No, we use our local guys. Um, some of our really good guys that have been with us for a long time, and that we trust that they can do it our way and and uh, the way they were trained, and uh, it's worked out really good. I mean, obviously, you've got to pay them well and um, take care of them while they're down there as best we can. Um, they're a long way away, so there's only so much you can do. But try to prep them for success and give them everything they need. So if they have a bad day, they've got the spare parts or or they've got the resources to make it good. So the size of your company, I want to ask you a couple of questions because business owners typically struggle on when do I need to create an HR department or an HR manager? How many employees do you have again? We have 45. 45. Okay. So 45 employees. Do you have an HR manager? Yeah. So uh, Whitney in our office, she's really kind of taken the reins. Um, we kind of uh, teamed up with with you guys, obviously. And uh, right. she... she Jill helped us kind of create that. And it's really, um, it's really helped us a bunch just kind of focusing in on that because we've ran into our issues with HR and I mean, I'm, you know, a bit rough around the edges myself. So it's uh, definitely got to tidy it up. And, and she's really helped that and honed it in. And, and I feel like we've got a lot more systems and processes in place since then. Now, Whitney also doubles as your office manager, correct? Yeah, correct. So I she's mean, not a full-time straight HR person. Uh, no, uh, she, I mean, okay. not not necessarily. No, she doubles up. Okay. Now, do you have a safety person as well? Yeah. So that's um, something we've really focused on uh, this year. Is we actually moved two of our most experienced operators uh, into a safety role. 
So one takes one division of our company and another one takes the other division of our company. And we really just hone in on safety meetings and, and how we can create a culture of, you know, we want you to go home at night. We want our customers to go home at night. And I mean, it's, it's, we've seen huge growth in just putting these two guys out of a truck and saying, let's focus on safety. And we've just seen a lot of people buy in, buy into what we're trying to do rather than, oh, man, here comes another safety talk. Well, that's awesome because a lot of times, especially in, in blue collar industries, I find that HR gets uh, the safety stuff heaped on them. And typically the field guys, because there's not many gals out in the field, right? The field guys don't believe they know what they're talking about because they're not the ones out there working in it day in and day out. So I think it's a very smart move uh, that you guys chose to take somebody out of the field that knows what they're doing as far as the, the role of the of the position and then had them handle the safety as well on top of it. So that's great. Yeah, it's, it's been huge for us. I mean, you know, as as the owner of the company, I, I dealt with all the safety meetings prior and, and I can see it in our employees' eyes. They're just more or less looking at me like, oh man, he's just trying to save money or he's just giving us the speech to give us the speech. Um, but now that I've got operators actually telling them like, hey, we've had these problems or, or we've seen these problems through other companies. And I mean, we've had our fair share of issues and, and that's what I believe a huge part of our growth is, is you know, we've, we've really learned a lot from failure. Um, and, and that's why we put these guys in these positions is because we've had our fair share of failure. But if we don't learn from it, we, it's just going to happen again. So. All right. So 10 year anniversary coming up, thinking back to when you first started the company to now, in your opinion, what is the biggest change in the talent market? Um, Obviously, I started with myself, but I, I feel like in the last, it's really been in the last three to four years, I've seen a huge change in just people, um, how you how you get to deliver messages to them. I mean, I'm kind of a millennial. I was born in 1984, so I'm on the edge of it. Um, so I've got some of my managers are old school and they're yellers and they're screamers. And, and the biggest thing in the talent market I saw was we got to kind of coddle these people and say, okay, it'll be all right. And it's even gotten worse, I feel, in the last three or four years where it's like, you're not allowed to say anything. And Correct. I, I just feel like the accountability level is getting harder and harder and harder um, because they don't give you what you, I mean, the, the biggest struggle we have in our, in our industry is we ask them to do something. They're fully aware of their expectations. And then you hold them to that and they quit. There's no warning. There's no anything. It's just like, I don't need this. I'm out because I can go anywhere I want right now. Um, so we've really tried to hone in on as far as that is, all right, who do we baby this guy? He can handle a little more. So we give him a little more, but I mean, that's as far as finding talent. I mean, it's just, it's really babying them essentially. Right now, right now it is a, what I would call if, if an employee was a buyer, it's a buyer's market when it comes to jobs, because Across this country, you know, I travel a lot. Brian travels a lot. And everywhere we go, we see help wanted signs. Somebody that doesn't have a job right now truly doesn't want to work because there's so many jobs in every industry, blue collar, white collar, retail, you know, food service, hotel. Um, you know, in Iowa, we have shortages of medical workers. So It's, surpri it's surprising it's when my accountant said, he can't even find accountants. So 
uh, that's that's kind of nerve wracking when the white collar people can't even find workers, and it makes it exceptionally hard for blue collar people like ourselves. And I mean, you know, we've got probably got a thousand customers, and there ain't one of them thousand that doesn't say, "Hey, do you know any guys looking for jobs?" And I'm like, if they're looking now, dude, I don't know that you'd want to hire them. That is true, unless they're being treated poorly elsewhere. Correct. Yes. Right. Absolutely. What do you, what do, you do to differentiate KCP? And get those workers. I mean, how do you how do you differentiate yourself and, and keep them? I mean, are you paying them more? Is there better work life balance? I mean, what do you what have you guys figured out? Honestly, I think it it comes from early, um, and this is from my race car background. We we provide the best equipment that you can possibly buy right now. Um, all our equipment's really really late. The latest technology. Um, but more or less with the employee side of it, they see our equipment and they know, I mean, we're really trying hard to keep stuff so their days are smoother so they get to go home earlier. Now, the hardest thing for us is in the concrete pumping industry, the hours are pretty strenuous each week. Um, but I think they feel that they make, I mean, their overtime's usually 20, 30 hours a week. So they can make pretty lucrative money in a short amount of season that we have here in Iowa. And I, I just think that we... Really, the last three years have focused on culture. That is all we have focused on. So we do some employee events. If it's not at the shop, um, they look forward to our year-end parties that we have. We take uh, some. We take some of our best employees. Not best. I wouldn't say best, but some of our long. Like the last time we last year we went, we took everybody that had worked for us for three years or longer. We went on a trip down to Vegas to the World of Concrete. Um, so we just do things. I think a little different. Um, I think. Our employees know that I'm not in this to become a billionaire or anything like that. Like the money we make goes back into the business or into their pocket. So I think and our, our core employees know that and, and they kind of that's starting to really funnel throughout the shop. So a lot of the things you just spoke about revolve around employee engagement and creating a, an, an, a culture of engagement within your organization. Um, what kind of parties are they celebratory parties? Do they have to achieve something? Are you doing it monthly? You know, some people are just dipping their toe into this employee engagement thing and they don't know where to start. So if you could be a little more specific about how often you do things. We're in a tough industry. So if, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people that probably listen to this that don't understand our industry and our industry is, uh, before sun up and after sundown. So, and it's all weather dependent. If it, So as far as time frame is, uh, it's tough on that end, but I mean, it sometimes it's just as simple as I walk down to the shop and just for lack of better term, shoot the shit with the guys for 10 minutes about nothing and you can, about football or, or something like that. And it's just almost like a break for them. Um, and, and you can just tell that they're like, wow, you know, the owner's, the owner's still one of us. Um, he doesn't think he's too good. Um, I don't run a truck every day, but I see it in my comp in my competition around town that they know the owners don't run the trucks every day. They're not really engaging with them. It's just kind of like, go do your job. I don't care about you. And as far as timelines, um, we definitely do the year end party. We do a year, uh, winter trip because we're slow around here. Um, we used to do fishing trips throughout the summer, but we just, we've grown and, um, on that end, but. You know, we do racing, like we do employee race events, and they love it. I mean, they've bought into our race team that we own, and, and that's really cool for me because they, you know, having their support lets me do it. So, um, 
yeah, it's just there's a lot of different things on a timeline. It just depends on weather, really. That 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 dictates when we can do things. Why don't you share with everybody your season, just so they understand? Uh, so really, we get hot and heavy um, about April or May. Um, we kind of start getting a little busy in March, but then it is go time from pretty much May through December. Um, our goal is usually to make it the week before Christmas. We've, we've been fortunate enough to do that, but we don't completely shut down either. We, we just slow down and, but them, them eight months or whatever that is, seven months is it's really grueling on our guys. It's grueling on the office. It's grueling on me. And, and we run so hard that, I mean, it's just tough to do things, but we just really just try to engage with them at the shop. And even if it's having a beer on a Friday night after work, um, you know, I don't, I don't need anybody getting OWIs or anything. So we keep it really simple, but just, just the engagement on that and goes a long way with them. Now, do you keep all of your employees year round, even though you're not as busy in those three months? I think that's a big reason why a lot of people stay with us. Um, you know, the guys who want off, they, they can take off. We, we completely make it voluntary on that end because we know we've always got about eight or 10 guys that just love to work in the winter. They love to tinker around the shop and and they want their money. They, they, they don't want to go on unemployment for the winter. So a lot of guys thrive off that because we have so much equipment that I, I believe in maintenance and I believe in winter is when we can win our, you know, jobs in the summer because we've got our trucks ready to go. We don't break down very often um, because of the hard work done in the shop. Okay. So looking back and you look at talent, What's the biggest obstacle you as a leader have had to overcome when it comes to talent in this, in this organization? Oh, it's 100% our hours. Um, they're so grueling and it, it's tough to, we've worked as hard as we, I feel like we can to try to give the balance of life work and, um, but it, it's grueling and, and we see guys come in here and they're, they're ultra good at what they do. And they just, they just look me square in the eyes and they're like, it is nothing against your organization, but I just, I just cannot work these hours. I love my family. And it, you can't argue that. Um, I've got an eight year old and a four year old and I love going home to them at night, but my wife is so awesome that she gets when I don't get to go home. Um, it's because it's summer and it's go time. So it's not for everybody. Um, as far as try- so that the biggest thing with talent is when we get them, we try to be as brutally honest as we can with them and say, you know, it's not a nine to five. It's it's a lot longer than that. And you know, you really got to want money to be in this industry. You have to be money driven. So it's twenty twenty one. Looking forward, what's your biggest obstacle when it comes to talent right now, besides hiring? Uh, Again, I, I, I'll lead to trying to find the balance. I feel like the more the social media is out there and um, the more relevant that becomes or has became, it's tough to keep people happy when their buddies putting on the internet that they're already home drinking beer and we've got four more hours to go. So for me, it's, it's showing these guys that their money's worth it. Um, put in the hard yards while you're young and, and hopefully it pays off. Um, we try to do all the, you know, the normal benefits and stuff like that, but that's not even enough anymore. Um, people don't, it just seems like the talent that we're searching for doesn't care about that as much as they care about what's in my pocket today. Okay. So looking at your organization, what separates your talent? What what part of your talent separates you from your competitors? I would say hands down training and culture. Um, we've had enough failure throughout the years that, um, you know, the competitors got to laugh us laugh at us a little bit, but 
we kind of just knuckled down through the failure and said we're going to grow from it. And our training, I feel, as far as concrete pumping is second to none. Um, so it gives our guys a lot more confidence when they're out there. And and we don't get very many complaints from our customers anymore saying, well, you know, you, your guys don't know what you're doing. Um, we try to tell them that, you know, part of your expectation of working for us is your attitude's good, even when you're having a bad day. Um, and, and when the biggest compliment we get is when we go on a job, they say our competitors' guys are always angry, they're tired, they don't want to work for them anymore. And so we just kind of chomp at the bit at, at them comments and, and go to it. Excellent. So looking looking through this year and next, what are some new initiatives that you guys are thinking about putting in place for talent? Uh, I want to try to bring in more of an ownership standpoint, um, you know, for, for um, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of the word. It's um, I've lost here. Uh, like, like a profit a, sharing or something? Yeah, maybe not so much a profit sharing, but I'm, we're sitting like, yes and no, uh, kind of like a, you know, an incentive to go and do the jobs that are in front of them. Um, and, and, and yeah, make, take ownership in it. You know, if your truck breaks down because of it's, if it is preventative, then we need to have a chat about it. And maybe that's coming out of your profit sharing directly and not, and not all the other people in our organization. Um, oh, so maybe, maybe some performance based pay um, and the pot is based on margin. Correct. And, and it's something we've, we've strove for in the past and we always kind of get slapped around on it and don't quite get to where we want to be or, or, or it doesn't make everybody happy. So we kind of go away from it. And now I really, I'm, I'm sitting back, you know, we're 10 years in, I've got time to sit back and say, okay, how does this look for all our employees? And, you know, if they go out and they, we've got one guy that's doing 20% more than the rest, I feel like he should get a substantial more bonus than the rest of them. We've always done that off gut feel of, you know, well, we felt like he performed well this year. And so we'll bonus him, but just to get really analytic with it, like look at the, look at all the numbers and, and really kind of hone in on yeah, whose performance was the best and, and, you know, just, bring them in as an, not as an owner directly, but, you know, make them feel as an owner through profit sharing or, or through performance-based income. Well, you know, I've worked with a lot of different organizations, blue collar organizations, in fact, that have moved their service people, their technicians, their installers, whatever industry it may be, uh, to performance-based pay. And they've all experienced that first um, look where everybody's like, oh, right? And, yep. and through painting the path to the money, right? Show them how they can make more money uh, by doing this. Um, they have had their early adopters. So they had two different play plan, pay plans. You can be on performance-based pay or you can be on what you're on now, right? And they let them choose. And they yep. have those early adopters that jump onto it. And then the people that held back see what the early adopters are making. And so they choose to jump over. That's typically how it has gone. And that that would be a, that that's kind of my vision on it is, you know, just showing them that it's and, and again, going back to the talent of today. That's what we're struggling with, though. It's it's getting them to see one year down the track or or, you know, it's not about today. It's about look at the end of the year. The end of the year number is going to be really good if you just keep pushing. But a lot of guys and girls can't see that far ahead. I I feel like anymore or they choose not to, I suppose. And and it's just tough to get them to look the whole at the end of the year, this is going to be worth it. And yes. it's just that's what we're struggling with with talent wise. It's just trying to find them to say, here's your incentive, 
you just got to wait to get there. And I feel like a lot of people right now don't have the patience, nor do, and they choose not to. True, true. Whereas if they were getting a performance uh, based pay or an incentive on every job and the margin of that job, then it's, then it's, the problem is instant gratification, right? 100%. Right. I remember, you know, I'm old enough that I used to have to drive to the library or have my mom take me to the library, right? To yep. look up stuff for my book reports or assignments in school, you know? Yep. And, and now, if you want to know something, you have a handheld computer called a phone that you can look anything up right now. And it's the instant gratification thing. And, and that's why performance-based pay has worked for a lot of blue-collar companies. So Yeah, I'm looking forward to putting something in place. It'll be next year at this point. But, I mean, I'm looking forward to, you know, that's the one thing I want to do is really show the employees that their hard work's worth it. Excellent. So you've mentioned the word lesson learned a couple of times. You learned your lesson from failure. Yep. Share with us one talent failure that you experienced. And what you learned from it? Um, I, I think we had a, one thing that comes straight to mind is we had we had an employee who was an absolute rock star. Um, he would do anything he was told at any point, and the minute you stop telling him what to do, he would literally do nothing. Ah, um, no, so no self initiative. One hundred percent. But he was such a good employee. But we let him not doing anything be his problem instead of it was really our problem. And, and I guess the biggest thing I've learned since then is we don't have lazy employees. They just need direction. So the more we direct them, ask them questions on, on, on which direction they feel like they need to go, the more they've bought into what we're doing. And, and I genuinely think that, you know, that, that employee would never have left if, and what it boiled down to was I got frustrated him and I had a screaming match and he just pretty much up and said, I don't need this shit and left. So I was like, okay, what do I learn here? Um, yeah. Cause I really liked him. I felt like he did a great job. His truck was always clean. It was maintained. But the minute he had a chance to sit down and be on his phone, that's what he did. I just needed to stay further ahead of him and, and, and our management did, and we just didn't do a very good job. So what we've learned is we need to stay in front quite a ways in order for, to get what we want out of our employees. Fair enough. Fair enough. Expectations go a long way. And that, that story sounds a lot like what I hear from a lot of leaders and it's, well, you know, your story included a gentleman that would do whatever he asked, right? away. Whatever you asked right away. A lot of times, you know, you'll get somebody that you ask them multiple times and they still don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, a, and a lot of leaders are really confounded by that. And I have to remind them that not everybody is like you or me, right? You want I mean, to, it's crazy. That's how I feel. I mean, yeah, you know, I, like like I said, I feel like I'm on the millennial side of things. So I kind of I kind of sense it from them. And I'm like, you know, Brad, who's who's in uh, my right hand man in the office, he's old school and he's his theory is you just you're supposed to tell them and they're meant to know exactly what you're thinking. And we've just spent the last two years with you guys trying to figure out that that doesn't work. And he's finally getting through to his head that that doesn't work. <laughs> we need to ask questions, set the expectations, make sure that they're clear on what the expectations are, and then they can go forth and do great things. Yeah, maybe even give them a checklist, right? Uh, uh, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> so 
How do you determine if someone's going to be a good fit for your organization or not? Uh, I think it takes a little bit. I mean, you know, right now with the shortage of employees, it's it really is just a market where you hire them, try to figure it out. Um, but once we get through the training process, for me, it, it, I always kind of looked at it like if I can communicate with you and I feel like you're absorbing what I'm telling you. And at the end of the day, we can drink a beer together. I feel like you're going to fit with me perfectly fine. Um, now that we've grown a little bit, um, Gary in our office as well, he does most of the interview process and, and I trust these judgments so much that we at least start them, put them through to our, our two new training guys, the safety guys, and then trust that they're going to give me their best feedback and, and we sit down if it's not working. And usually, you know, a week into this industry and you can really tell whether it's a yes or a no. So you don't invest a lot before the the they choose to leave or you ask them to leave? Uh, in the past, we've, you know, we've probably hung on to people maybe five, six months too long trying to make it work. But, um, you know, uh, really uh, rigorous training is a 28-day program. And then we kind of back off from there. So in that first 28 days, we know right away whether, whether it, they're in this industry or it's going to work or it's not going to work. Okay. So I was going to ask next about how you ramp up new employees. So they go through a 28-day process of training. What else do you do when you bring a new new person in to acclimate them to your culture and the KCP way? Uh, so again, it goes from, you know, our failures in losing good people through not acclimating them when they come in. Um, they go through, first thing they do is go to our HR department and they, and they sit down and they watch all, you know, kind of... Um, all the videos on on how our shops ran and what the expectations are and safeties from there. And then they go around our shop with our shop foreman and, and he shows them where everything is, what the expectations are then. And, and then they sit down with me for a while and, and we just kind of go over that. Um, and then most of our, most of their buying has to come from our other employees. That's because they spend so much time out in the shop throughout the day. So if there's negative thoughts automatically, our new guys get negative thoughts as well. So we've really tried to focus on that a lot. Um, just trying to remain positive when things aren't going great or it's a hundred degrees outside, you know, just don't sit there and complain because all we're doing is bringing everybody else down, especially the new guys. So that is, we've seen leaps and bounds and just trying to really promote a positive culture. Okay. So how many different types of roles are there in your organization? I know you've got the guys who actually drive the trucks You've talked about your safety people. I know you've got the gal in the office. There's you. There's the shop foreman. Mm-hmm. What what other roles do you hire for, or is it mostly just your truck driver? Your, uh, your so we've got drivers. Front, there's myself, who I guess I mean I probably, you know, obviously have to look for the future and, and try to make the best decisions and, and try to really make strategic moves. Um, and there's then there's dispatch. They're really the backbone to the company. There's uh, two dispatches downstairs and they i mean they're taking anywhere from uh, 300 to 600 calls a day um goodness gracious yeah they they're, they stay pretty busy we're, we're probably going to be trying to recruit somebody else to help in there here for the next year if it stays as busy as it is um and so from dispatch they they can really manipulate the whole schedule they can you know they can make or break this deal so i feel like we've got two really good people down there uh mechanics are you know, obviously another huge, huge part of this 
uh, program. And uh, our shop foreman and mechanic, Travis, they work together a lot, but um, that's something else we're looking for is another mechanic, but that's about the hardest position to fill right now. Okay. So looking at yourself and, and how you've gotten to where you're at, what do you do to keep your edge sharp, to grow yourself? Because your people can't outgrow you, right? 100%. So what do, you do, what do you do to keep yourself growing? Uh, I think I always, you know, my business partner and I, we talk a lot, but um, I think the biggest thing for me is always stay out of my comfort zone. Um, whether it's financially, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, growth, um, what's next, uh, Usually I get humbled once a year by a, by a, an accident or, or, or a mistake that we've made that was probably preventable. So that keeps me growing on the training side of it, the safety side of it. Um, and, and employees are getting tougher right now. Um, so I think they keep me sharp on trying to, how do I stay in front of them? Whether it may be, how, how do I keep them happy or, or how do I promote a company that people want to come work for? I mean, essentially that's my goal that, Nobody else wants to work for our competitors. They all want to work here because we're the best place. So that, that keeps me driving. Um, not to say it hasn't put a ton of gray, gray hair on me, but I mean, it's it. I guess that's probably the main thing is I just really try to stay out of my comfort zone. And, and so I have to keep driving. Okay. Okay. You mentioned earlier a race team. And I know people are going to pick up on that comment. So I just want you to tell me a little bit about the race team and how, well, obviously you were, you were, you were in that business. So. Yeah. So it was a passion. I mean, that's my passion still. I mean, it just fuels my fire. Um, you know, I probably spend too much time um, on it because it, it is pretty much a non-profitable organization. So it, <laughs> it's, it's like a drug once you're in it. Um, it's really hard to get out of it. But we've got such an awesome team and, and our partners are, are very much construction mind, minded people. Um, oh, my biggest mentors are our partners on our car. And so we just bounce ideas off each other. And it just, I mean, it's such a cool, unique race team. And, and it's grown into probably one of the biggest, it's probably grown into one of the best race teams in, in the nation. So it was always a dream of mine to own my own race team. And, and I'm very, very, very fortunate to be able to. Um, with great partners and, and, you know, uh, it's, it's been a cool deal and, uh, it, that definitely wakes me up in the morning and as well as this deal and, and keeps me driving. I take it. It's sprint cars, correct? Correct. It's all dirt track racing. That's what, that's why I picked Iowa to live. Um, Knoxville, Iowa has the best racetrack in the world. So I was like, no better place to live than Iowa. There you go. There you go. One last question for you. So you've mentioned millennials a couple of times. Yep. I want to ask about succession planning. How old or what age group are your managers in and what are you doing to groom their replacements? So really this has come about the last three to four years. Um, Brad's our oldest guy um, and he's not that old. He's late forties. So um, everybody else in our organization is pretty much, mid thirties, if not younger. Um, so, you know, I feel like right now with, with the people we have in place, uh, I, I could probably fall off the mat for a month and it'd keep running. Um, we're really, it's, we, we try to have these conversations about, well, if I die tomorrow, who's going to do this? So we're working towards, uh, you know, who's doing what, 
what it looks like from a role's perspective moving forward. And, and we're just training every, I mean, you know, you guys know, I mean, we went through your leadership program for two years and it really, it really put us to a new level. Um, as far as management goes, um, it's just definitely helped on the succession plan because I really feel like before we started that we were in trouble. It was never, if, if I would have died, I think the doors would have shut and we would have sold everything where now I think, you know, that it's going to keep rolling and, and the people in place are ready to rock and roll. Now you're very passionate about, about your business and, and the industry that you're in. You can hear it in your voice with the long hours, with the time away from your family, especially in the summertime. How do you stay passionate about it? Uh, I think it comes from not having a choice. Um, I know I, I don't, you know, I'm the owner, so I know this is what I have and I'm probably, you know, I'm definitely passionate about this industry because it, for it's kicked my ass. Um, and I don't like getting my ass kicked. So I want to, I want to beat it. Um, <laughs> so it just keeps me driving. Um, when it comes to the industry, you know, I've, I've kind of started attending some more conferences in the industry and, and trying to get a little more involved on a more in depth scale. Um, I don't really ever want to be in politics, but uh, it's, uh, just trying to learn some other other companies' ways, you know, around the nation. And, and it, I mean, the passion just comes from not having a choice. I know if I don't have this, what else do I have? So let's, let's give it a, let's give it 10 tenths every day and, and make sure that we've got a plan for years and years to come. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Oh, I appreciate and if you somebody, guys. If somebody needs what you do, how do they get a hold of you? How do they get uh, a hold of KCP? You either go on our website, custompumps.com, or you just call call our dispatch line. I mean, it's just if you go on our website, it has everything you need. Um, social media, we're on there. So it's pretty simple. It just it's custom with a K. We just wanted to do something different, not spell it with a C. So it's uh it's got a lot of attention. So I mean if you just go to custompumps.com, it's right there. Custom with a K. Thank yep. you for your time today, Matt. Appreciate it. Thank you.